This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. So this is super cool because you may recognize my guest, Laura McGowan. And uh, Laura and I had the opportunity to do a podcast, is it like a year and a half ago or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was one of, um, it was the, this is the, like one of the first times I've ever had somebody back. And that ah, just goes yay. to show you like how, uh, how highly I think of Laura and her story. And Laura, um, we're back to not only talk, because I'd love people to get to know you a bit who haven't tuned in, but mm-hmm. also to talk about this. Oh my <laughs> gosh. It's like, Oh, you guys, I have to tell you, um, holy crap, like this, this book that is coming out, um, it will be out by the time this podcast is out and it's, we are the luckiest, the surprising magic of a sober life is probably literally one of my favorite books in the genre that I've ever written. Um, the writing is incredible. The storytelling, it's like riveting. It is. Oh, uh, thank you so much. Like you've, you've really, um, You've really upped the bar. I, it's phenomenal. So anyway, oh, can't wait thank to talk you. About I feel all weepy already. <laughs> so you good. cried on our last podcast, so maybe it's my turn this time. <laughs> I know I got all emotional. <laughs> so if you haven't watched that one, go back and catch up to where we were a year and a half ago. It's always fun to see how things evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'd love for you to just you know tell your story again because sure. I know that some people are are don't know you yet, and so I'd sure. love to know you. Yeah. Um, so I, I've been sober for five, over five years now. Um, my story is a lot like a lot of people's story and, and also unique. I mean, I started drinking pretty young. Um, I have came from a family of people who drank just regularly and it was just a very normalized thing. Uh, I, I, in hindsight can say that I drank problematically from the beginning of when I drank and I can feel that, you know, I can remember the way it felt to me. Um, and then I had this kind of nagging sense of that I liked it a little too much <laughs> and I needed it a little too much, but, uh, but I also, it also looked pretty normal. You know, I drank um, towards the end of high school and then through college and I went to a big party school and I drank a lot when I um, started working in the professional world, actually even more. And I thought that was like the greatest thing. It's like, oh my God, people in the work, people, you know, this is like college, but better because we're making money <laughs> and um, we don't have to go to class. And, you know, it's, it, it all felt very, you know, exciting and adult and important. And I always say there was like two sort of pe- like places in my drinking where, I, where it really spiked. And one was right after I got married um, because I had this sense that like I had this feeling of being trapped and there's a whole story behind that. But it was like, I can say in hindsight now that I've done so much work that I, I uh, was not really, I don't know if anyone's emotionally ready to get married, but I was really struggled with like the intimacy part of it. And I drank and I drank to sort of counteract all of my discomfort, but especially when it came to relationships, right? And so my drinking sort of spiked up then. 
and um and then it spiked up again when I had my daughter yeah that and I, I can just to chime in like so relate to both of those things I felt like I I so vividly remember being like okay you know like kind of giving the signals that we're gonna have sex or something and be like all right let me just run to the kitchen <laughs> down a glass <laughs> yeah. of wine too. right just check out a little bit so I can withstand the discomfort of what a what a you know right which is it, so it, funny because once you work through the, all the issues you're like oh well sex is actually great it was just all this badger baggage I was carrying along that you yeah know, so interesting yeah it is it is really interesting but I think that's the case for a lot of people you know that the relationship thing is where we're most vulnerable and most uncomfortable and alcohol is so normalized and so easy and everyone you know I've, I always dated people who drank and you know, my husband and I drank together and it wasn't even quote unquote bad, like the way we drank together per se, but uh, <clears throat> it was ever present. And when I had my daughter, it, it spiked up again. <clears throat> and I hear that from a lot of women, you know, I think there's the practice, the, oh, I'm sorry. I, I think there's the practical, like your body changes, your body chemistry changes, your hormones change. So you are, it just affects you differently and you're also sleep deprived and all those things. So I, but I really remember thinking and feeling like, oh my God, it's not working anymore. Like alcohol mm. just isn't working anymore the way it used to. Um, so I kind of drank more to try to make it work, but it just made me more anxious. I think that I really noticed the connection between anxiety and my drinking when I, after I had my daughter, because you can't just sleep through the day and you can't right. just screw around anymore. And so uh, it's, it, yeah, it definitely changed. And so when my daughter was um, four years old, I, well, first of all, I separated from my husband in 2012 when she was about three and my drinking got really bad then because I didn't have a, babysitter anymore <laughs> um and was he and then, was he kind of like come on Laura let's like because my husband was always like like let's just take a day off and I'd be like all pissy about it <laughs> yeah he there were many um it was a real issue in our relationship and it wasn't you know like the reason why we didn't make it but it definitely made everything worse <clears throat> and I was a horrible I mean anyone who's really caught in addiction is unable to be in a relationship. You're not, you're in a relationship with the addiction, not that person. And mm. I mean, I was lying and I was uh, lying is the, is a key thing. Like you're not ha even having an honest relationship, <laughs> you know? And so, yes, he was often like, maybe take it easy. I mean, it would range from, can you just take it easy to stop fucking drinking? Like mm -hmm. stop. Um, and I wasn't having any of that, you know? So I thought when I was relieved when we finally separated for many reasons, but primarily, honestly, because I was like, now I can drink the way I want to drink and you're not going to be there to tell me to judge me. Yeah. So that in that year between 2012 and 2013, it got really bad. And then in 2000, and then I got a DUI in early 2013, like the wheels really started coming off. And 
in, two, in July of 2013, this is kind of how the book opens. I had this horrible incident with my daughter where I left her in a hotel room overnight at my brother's wedding because I was blackout drunk. And that really started me on to the sobriety path um, because it was public, like my family was there, you know, and it was, people were, you know, they weren't going to drink with me anymore. They weren't going to, it, it was, it, until then, I had somehow been able to explain everything away and just kind of brush stuff under the rug. And no one really knew how bad it was, but that was like this, okay, now we see how bad. And I saw how bad it was. You know, I, that was horrific. And um, <clears throat> so I went to my first meeting shortly after that because I didn't know what else to do. And it took me another year of a lot of starts and stops and a lot of pain and a lot of I call it purgatory. It was like one foot in sobriety, one foot in, you know, my old life. And I really didn't want to get sober. I really, really, really begged for something else <laughs> to um, be available to me. <laughs> and, but by September of 2014, I finally stopped. And, uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of story in there in that year, especially of just profound struggle with, letting it go and what that meant for my life because it's not of course about the drinking just the drinking I mean we a lot of what you talk about is like we're it's interwoven into everything that we do and and especially our belief system about what makes a good life and a fun life and a meaningful life and exciting life and it, I, it was a huge huge grief process for me but I did, um, finally in September, and then everything since then, I mean, it's um, it's a beautiful and brutal journey. You know, I, I've had, I've changed careers. I've, I, I can't even believe what's happened in the course of five years. So that's the very abbreviated version. I don't know if you want more than that. No, that's great. It gives us like a good, a good launching pad. I feel like um, <clears throat> one of the things that's, so interesting is like it felt like at at the wedding and stuff it was like yes I need to do this but I guess but all your family like knowing okay well this is the cat's out of the bag so to speak and so yeah. this has to be something that is done but it was never um like you were just sort of convinced like there was like what you say is like there's got to be a third way like there has to be another option here you know yeah i call it the third door i was just like disbelieving that the two options were to keep going as i was which i knew i couldn't right though i tried to hang on as long as i could or get sober i was like that's just it, it was like it was bargaining i mean it was just bargaining so I guess like my question is like now that you know what it feels like to live the life you're living now um because i think that okay so i don't know if this is going to make sense at all this is just something that's like budding Go for in my head, all right yeah. so like here here's how you were before this is is the train that we're on i love the train mm -hmm. by the way i so i use the train and i had a train situation in my own story so <laughs> nice. to read her train chapter is so good yeah yeah um, but so this is a train we're on and we see where it's headed and we're like, oh crap, well, we have to get off this train. But then we have this idea of sobriety, right? Yeah. And then so you're, so you're looking for this third door and it kind of almost strikes me that like, 
in some ways by going through the door of sobriety, you actually find the third way because it's nothing like you thought it was going to be. Yeah, that's pretty brilliant. True. Yes. It's not at all like I thought it was going to be at all. It is, but it's like, you got to go through, you got to go through it to get there, you know, and that, that going through a part is really difficult. I mean, it was for me. Yeah. There's a, um, the book fear and I can never pronounce his name. Technon Han. Technon Han. (laughs) Techno Han. (laughs) Anyway, it's like the premise of this book is like, take yourself down to the ash so that you can live fully. Right. And it's not that you eradicate fear, you make it go away. But if you like, if you intentionally feel it, feel the most intense fear, feel the fear of losing your, your children or your life or your loved ones or your dog or whatever it is, all the fear that you've been burying and like take it all the way down to the ground, then actually your life becomes so much richer. And I feel like that's a lot like this journey. Um, I was reading a book called, uh, I forget, it's, it's about this concept called the, the winning strategy. And it's the same thing. It's like, we're so clinging to how things have been. But if you take it, she takes it all the way. It's such a brutal chapter. She literally takes it all the way to the, like the, every single human being is going to die with regret mm. and with happiness and regret. And you're like, there's just not even a, there's not even a chance they're going to reach a place where you're like, ah, and it's done and now I can die. Like you will always die feeling like you wish you would have done something differently. You'll have some level of disappointment. You'll have some level of regret. And she like drives this point home because she's like, if you know that, then just like let it all go and like just start living, you know? And it's so interesting. Yeah, it is so interesting. And it's like, you know, we can read about these things, hear about these things, learn about these things. And I was like a life, I am a lifetime seeker. I was always drawn to this type of messaging and philosophy but until you have have your face pressed up against that wall and you have to actually oh my gosh you have to actually do that um you it's my sponsor says it's experiential only you know you have to experience it and and when you walk up to the edge of that cliff, you have to jump off, you know, and, and so that you do burn to ash. I mean, if you can buy, boil sobriety down to, there's many things, but I would say one of the key things is, yeah, standing in the fire, whatever it is you're feeling and letting it wash through you. I mean, we, we as humans really from day one kind of construct our lives to not feel Mm-hmm. things that are uncomfortable and sobriety forces you up against those edges um and what i have learned and seen and experienced is that it's in those places where i have actually felt most held it's like when it's empty when there is truly nothing you know the wisdom of no escape is what pema children calls it there's there's wisdom there mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's, I feel like that's what sobriety has been. It's just like, you're continually peeling back those, these safeguards that you've tried to create to protect yourself from a direct experience of life, which is crazy because the direct experience for me is what I was looking for. It's like, that's what I wanted. 
but I would have never thought it was going to happen through sobriety. Right. Because like, I totally agree with that. Like what, I mean, my story was a little, little different than yours in, in that I didn't start drinking at a very early age, but I do remember feeling like, oh, this experience, whatever's happening right now, whether it's we're all on the beach in Cape Cod, right? Um, this is going to be better if we all go yes. get a bunch of wine and then are on the beach in Cape Cod. Like it's enhancing the experience. Totally. And so I, I felt like that with so many things, but now it's so interesting because like I look back on, on my, my drinking memories and, and I can mm. see so clearly now that you almost have this, like if you imagine life as like these ups and downs and these peaks and valleys and all this experience, right? And, and it's all beautiful. And then you pour alcohol onto all of those situations. It like, it like Flat levels it. It like, yeah. it's like, it, it's a lot like I felt on antidepressants <clears throat> once I was on antidepressants for almost 17 years, but once I, I finally started to get healthy, and by the way, I had to stop drinking to do that, I started to notice <laughs> yeah. that, um, that the, I wasn't feeling, I remember watching a television commercial and it was something that would have made me cry. And I was like, I feel nothing. What, wait mm. a second. I actually want to feel sad in this situation, yes. right? Like yes. the proper human response to sit, you know, seeing like, um, we saw a, a deer with a broken leg the other day out, out in oh. our neighborhood and it was super sad and like we cried and like that's the proper human response. That's what actually makes us feel better in this weird way. And so this idea that like we want to, yeah, we think it's enhancing all the human responses, but really it's just taking them down to this very basic level that is nowhere near kind of the breadth and beauty and, and brutality, as you say, that real life can be. And totally. So I, yes, yes, yes. And I think people like I, that's sort of what I say in the final chapter is like, I just can't believe I thought that I was actually living because, you know, my, one of my friends like always would joke that I, she would say, you have a very bright rainbow. Like I, you know, feel all my things big. And but when I was really drinking, I, I just felt a few things a lot. You know, I felt maybe some excitement, a lot of anxiety, um, a lot of shame. <laughs> but everything else was like trapped behind this gauzy sort of numbness. Like even my love for my daughter, it was like, I know it's there, but I can't feel it. Yeah. And that's terrible. It's, it's a really um, haunting thing to not act, be able to access that. And joy, you know, I, I have no concept of what it actually, like, what it actually felt like. I mean, I didn't even grieve my divorce until like well into sobriety. And I thought that I was just resilient, you know, I just bounced back. And it's like, no, you just kept numbing it and stuffing it. And what, I mean, we, none of us gets away with any of that. We know that, right? Like it doesn't just go away. It never just goes away. So it's going to come out somehow. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just can't believe, I so agree with that. And I think it's so fascinating that we try so hard not to feel. Um, because to me, there's like, even grief is this beautiful thing. Like right alongside grief, there's this joy and mm -hmm you know, shame, like shame is awful to feel. Um, but that's all I ever felt 
you know, and I, and I felt like I had no choice. Like I couldn't get out in front of that because I was constantly doing things to be shameful for. So it's this really strange emotional predicament for sure. And, and just like you say, and what I'm learning, this is, we're totally going like the next level in this conversation. I love it. But what I'm, what I've really been learning, um, I'd say in the last probably 12 to 18 months is that like, and, and you touch on it so beautifully in your book, is like everything truly is a paradox, right? Like everything really is a tension. And I think it's so, it's so humanly natural to bounce from one to the other and then make the other wrong, right? So it was so yeah. humanly natural for me to stop drinking and demonize everything about alcohol and the mommy drinking culture and, and people drink and, and drink and soapbox, yeah. you know, and then like, like moving back and like, but everything is really, really that tension. And what you say about shame, it is, it is so, I mean, I can, you, anybody, we can instantly think of something that we've done and we just feel like, oh, you know, but, but actually, um, like one of the most beautiful feelings is loving yourself and having grace for yourself out of that shame or allowing somebody else to, by the way. So mm -hmm. allowing yourself to be forgiven or to have that grace. And like that feeling, I think, in my opinion of, for, for me, witnessing undeserved grace, yeah. whether it's, I don't know, Les Miserables, right? Like the scene, <laughs> Javert, yes. um, like witnessing undeserved grace is like nothing will bring me kind of emotionally to my knees faster, but we wouldn't have that level of beauty in humanity if we didn't make mistakes. Oh, then that, that's a whole other level of conversation. Yes. Yes. That's why I think people who have, who are in recovery tend to be, or have the capacity to be, um, so much more compassionate because you have actually, you've been in hell. Like, you know, I don't know if you read the Magnificent Monsters chapter, but that's basically what I say. Like, we are all good and bad, but only some of us know that, you know, I don't go around wondering if people are bad or good anymore. I just know they're both and that I have the capacity for everything too. Um, and what a different way to live that is. And look, I'm not without judgment. I'm judgmental all the time, but I have a place to return to, you know, where it's like, oh, I can see that in me. I can see the liar in me. I can see the cheater in me. I can see the, you can see everything, you know. Have you done any, um, like any work or on spiral dynamics? I know I'm very familiar with it, but I haven't done any work on it. I like how do you do work? Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I guess yeah. I was looking for the right word. I was like, work isn't the right word. No, do you, um, yeah. Just the understanding. So like the, the, the basic concept, how I understand it is, is that we're, we're certainly like evolving upwards and, mm -hmm. and, um, and we are doing this as a society. And you can see that. You can see that the things that we're fighting about today politically are so much more evolved than the things we were fighting about 50 years ago or 100 years ago. And it's so beautiful. And yeah. like you can see in our children, like the level of compassion and understanding and awareness um, that my kids have for other kids versus how we were when we were kids is, is incredible. And, and yeah. you can see it in my parents' generation. Like it's all coming. And so it's this this evolution that's really beautiful. And um, part of it is just like different levels of, of like awareness of something beyond like, mm -hmm. you know, ego. So you start at the very, the basic thing and it's, it's just like an infant, like sort of helpless. And then you go into this power player when you're two and you just want to be like, you know, 
it's your way or the highway. And, and some people get stuck there. Like there's dictators yeah. that get stuck there and they, they want it their way and they're going to be pissed off if it's never else their way. And then, yeah. and then you move up and up and up. And I will say that one of the things that can catapult you from kind of a lower level of, of sort of almost vibration and stuff to a higher level is the experience of addiction because you have oh, to come sure. face to face with, um, with, yeah, the, you have to come face to face with your most darkest parts. And in order to survive it, you have to find a place of love and compassion for your most darkest parts. And you can't, love and compassion and grace are things that if you give more, you get more. If you create more, there is more. They're, they're mm-hmm. such abundance principles. They're not scarce. There's nothing, like the more love I give you, the more love there is in the world. And so yes. once, you, once you give that, then you heal yourself and then you have so much more of it to give yeah. to other people, which is such a beautiful thing. So we, as a culture, just sit here and like, there's still such like shame and stigma and oh man, poor you. But I think that that's why the title of your book is like <laughs> the most profound thing I've ever read is because, <laughs> oh, no, you. wait a second, we are. Like, it's yeah. so true. Like, and, and again, it might be something that you have to, especially if you're stuck right now and you're listening to this, it is experiential. You're not going to know this maybe. And, or feel it. And you're going to actually reject that idea. You know, right. like that's why I said it when I said we are the luckiest way back when I was like, cause I had that epiphany. It was like, Oh, <laughs> this is actually what I wanted the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I call it limitations, you know, like we all have these invitations. And it's usually through darkness and pain and addiction, just one of them, but man, that's a good one. <laughs> it is a good one because it really, it, it really brings you to your knees. I mean, for me, it was like, um, it's, it's a brutal, it's a brutal path to go, but Hey, it could be anything. And that's, that's what I want to tell people too. It's like, that was just my story. That was my thing, but we all have stuff. We all have a thing or many mm-hmm. things. I love that, that we all have a thing that's so, it's so true. And you can start to really notice it in, you know, and I mean, a lot of people that really kind of look down on, oh man, will you drink too much? Like, you know, I'm like, you can see, well, I'm really happy that it was alcohol because guess what? If it was like I see in your life and it was work, there's no real true rock bottom there. I mean, yeah, maybe somebody can ultimately like, your family can leave you, but you find people, you know, if, if the thing you're into doesn't have such a high cost, it's going to be very hard to see that it's costing you anything. And, and you are so much less aware of your thing, right? And it's so, so true. Work, working and it, it, yeah, I've talked about that a lot with people recently. It seems just that there's, because a drug and alcohol addiction has such an ugly manifestation not just, you know, ugly, it's painful, it's dangerous, and, you know, and can lead to death often, then, yeah, it's, you can't really turn your eye from that, but, I mean, work is, is applauded, and so many other things are like, we love that, you know, or at least it's, it's socially acceptable. Yeah, and, but the cost, I mean, is, is still really high, and I actually, Don, um, Don's story from She Recovered, Don Nickel, yeah, yeah her, her, we did a podcast on, on workaholism, and it was so mm-hmm. powerful, 
I was like, wow, the cost is, is really high still with that. And I find myself falling into that. I mean, who doesn't, especially when you're doing something that you feel so passionate about, it's like, yeah, you know, so easy to do. Feels uh, so right. Feels so yeah. important. Yes, right. <laughs> yep. So funny and so true. Um, funny because it's true. So one of the things that you talk about that I just, you, you taught me a lesson and I think you know this, but if not, I'm going to say it anyway, but I remember uh, very early days when I had written my book and I didn't have, I didn't have a, I went to one AA meeting right before it was published because I just felt like I needed to have the experience <clears throat> in order to make sure that I'd read the big book and stuff like that just as research and yeah. <clears throat> and I went to this one meeting and it was a really beautiful experience. Um, you know, really heartbreaking, but really beautiful all at mm -hmm. once. And um, and so then I published the book and you and I got in touch very early on. And so mm -hmm. I was coming out of this really dark place because I had published and I had I had things happen that I mean I haven't I haven't really told a lot of people about because I didn't I didn't want people to like feel bad for me and people get really uh, like defensive for me. And I didn't want that either, but I had yes. a, a band of like eight quote experts come together to try to, you know, corner me into a, a video call to tell me that I needed to not publish the book because it was going to um, kill people because the book okay. was out unpublished first. So it was out as a yep. PDF for like almost a year. Right. Before. Like you're going to kill people because you're not acknowledging alcoholism. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I was coming from this very wounded place where I was on you know the daily getting emails about how yeah. shame on me um who did i think i was this like just really toxic stuff that really took me because i was reading every single one of my emails and facebook comments at the time. it took me way down and so i was very trying not hard not to be defensive but i was very like hurting from it all and i didn't have any experience and you told me um something that really changed everything for me and and what it was is like and we were talking about, because in my book, I take issue with the word alcoholic, right? Yeah. Um, as, a, as a concept, I think it's yeah. doing more harm in society than good. And, and you said, you said, well, why, why do you think people would use that word? And I was like, I, I can't even, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I and, yeah. and you're like, here's why, is because when you are caught up in something that's that looks like this, looks like literally the cycle of drinking until you puke, passing out, waking up and drinking till you puke again. And you literally feel like you are tortured to the point where you can't physically stop yourself putting it in your body as long as it's present in your, your presence. And then you go mm -hmm. through this massive withdrawal and massive detox. And you finally come to a place where you can say, I'm an alcoholic. And that frees you because your fear of drinking again as an alcoholic, suddenly something clicks into place. And suddenly you have this like, okay, because I'm an alcoholic, I can never again drink in safety. Right. And, right. and you said, Annie, everything that is coming at you that's so intense is totally from a place of fear. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, you are so right. And then everything that I felt that was like defensive could turn so quickly to compassion. And I was like, oh, and it was just such a gift. And it's like, I yeah. still feel and know that. So first of no, all. No, I totally remember that conversation. Yeah, because you are saying the thing that you, this belief system that is, you believe has saved your life. You're saying it doesn't exist or that it's unnecessary, right? right. Um. And, you know, by the way, I mean, I never, I don't call myself an alcoholic. I, I, 
even though I've gone to meetings, I don't go to meetings anymore, but I still love the 12 steps and I have a sponsor and I have this sort of complicated relationship with AA, but I don't like the word either. I don't use it because I feel it's very punitive. Um, but I do believe, I know, uh, it's not because I don't think I have an alcohol problem. It's not because I think I can drink or I don't think addict, you know, acute addiction exists to alcohol, but I just don't like the terminology. So I get it. I understand. And even more so now, you know, five years later and into it. Um, I think it speaks to your point of these hardened edges that we have in the beginning of, of any big change, because we have to, it's like, you have to have this thing, you have to build something that can, has weight and it can sustain you. And oftentimes it's like, you have to have this rigid belief system so that you can sustain this path that you're going down. And then over time, there's more flexibility and pliability to allow for softness. And, and it's so amazing because if you look at spiral dynamics, like if you look at this evolu- evolution through these phases of consciousness, like that's exactly it. Like the blue phase is all about you, you evolve into being rules and yeah. you know, black and white. And you do that in order to further the whole thing. Right. Yeah. And, and then, then I think it's, you get to purple your, why do you need rules? But like, no, we all had to go through that. We all had to do that. I feel like I did that with my faith very, very early on. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I found faith at like 19 and I was like, going to go convert everybody. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And I feel like I did that with alcohol too, because I found, you know, what the truth about alcohol for me and yeah. all this science. And I was like, going to go tell everybody, you know, and, and yeah. I really repelled people. And it wasn't until I kind of evolved beyond that level that um, uh, it was like that people were more receptive to me. But I think it's, it's such a necessary stepping stone. That's one of the things that I love about this, this kind of framework is it is all a necessary stepping stone. Like we have to pass through all of these. You can't- It's all part of the path. It's not a mistake, right? No, and you, I mean, thank God you didn't sort of know to be afraid of that because you never would have written your book. I've never written it. Right, and it's such a hugely, I mean, I hear people literally every day, whether it's on Instagram or emails or, you know, they mention you and your work and it's how a lot of people start to think about stopping drinking. I mean, thank God you didn't know about that. Thank God I didn't know about the things I should have been afraid of talking about, you know, or I wouldn't have, you know, knew, especially when you're, you're talking about something as um, big as addiction to people, you know, that's, it's close to their life or their, their, um, their vitality, their, their aliveness um, as, as that is it, uh, alternate opinion is never going to be popular. No, people need to hear that. Like the people who change or the, the changers in the world, they're never popular in and the they beginning. Don't often come, somebody told me this recently, I guess there's a book written on it, but they don't often come from within the fabric of the existing either. That, almost never. Right. So like the advances in physics don't usually actually come from physicists, you know, right. like it's right. just interesting. They're too in, they're in, in too inside. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, <clears throat> Um, I, what I try to, to stress is like, it's okay for things to be complicated. Mm. It's okay for you to, like, I still think the 12 steps are beautiful and important and ancient spiritual wisdom. And I, I see a lot of people get better by going through them, but there's all kinds of stuff about AA that I totally reject and that's okay. Right. 
Um, it's okay to be in different phases at different points too. Um, I think in the case of AA versus not AA, especially people feel like they have to choose a side. And yeah, like, and no, you don't. No, you, you don't. don't. Absolutely yeah. not. And and I, I feel like I've really, I feel like I was like forced to like, okay, since they're all against me, I have to, you know, you push, I'll push. <laughs> I have to be against too, right. Right. And then um, I'm so, I'm so grateful to you because it was literally within the first year or so of the book coming out that you really, really you, Laura, released me from that. And, um, and I'm so grateful because I think it's so important for people to right now in our world, if you want to be in real life with people on a regular basis, that's where you should go. You know, like there's no doubt in this. Yeah. It's still the biggest, like, you know, in real life network that there is. And we need in real life people because there are, you know, you could say this about any institution. You could go into a church and you could find the worst of the worst and you could find the best of the best because the church, guess what? It's made up of humans. You could go into the worst of the worst and the best of the best. You know, you could find the heroes and you could find the people abusing their power. Like it it just is humans. And, um, but yeah, I, I love, I love moving past the, you know, all or nothing. And this has to be right or wrong. And we have to take a side and, and like mm-hmm. just moving into the, um, just the complication, you know, and allowing for that, you know, just saying, I don't know all the answers and that's going to have to be okay. Yeah. And, and it, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Totally I agree. You talked in your, in the chapter and I loved, oh, well, I love so much about your book, but like when you were like, I've rewritten this. Like I've, I've literally written 10,000 words to write this chapter. And then, um, and you tell your truth about your journey and the complicated nature of it. And, and then you tell this beautiful story about, um, about some people who, would you tell that story? It's just so good. Sure. It's like, I already have, um, tear. It's so, uh, the bottom line of what I say in the chapter about it is like, look, there are so many things that I didn't like about it. Don't like about it, but those people saved my life. They really did. And, um, and for that reason, I'm always beholden to, it will always be beholden to the it and them. Um, not out of duty, but just out of like reverence, you know? Um, so <laughs> the story is I, w- one weekend decided that I would get drunk and get in the car with my daughter and go to an AA party. And I still remember people afterwards going, what, what were you thinking? And it's like this, nothing like I had, you can't explain anything that people do when they're drinking, um, for, especially at that stage. So I showed up and, you know, this, oh, all the wild things that people do in drinking and even in Sprite in, in a, it's not still pretty like not kosher to go to an AA party wasted. That's not a usual occurrence, um, especially with my daughter. So I'm laughing because it's just like, I shake my head. Uh, but they you know, obviously caught on pretty quickly and they, nothing, all that happened is they, a few people who knew me well took me outside. They were like, girl, we're going to get you home. And they, someone elected them, a woman elected herself to drive me and Alma the 45 minutes up to my house and back. And she was just so kind to me and never said a damn word about any of it being shitty or wrong, you know, or to 
judgmental or anything. It was just like pure grace. And like you said, undeserved favor. So, so it was um, life-changing for me because that next day, you know, was pretty dark. <laughs> it's like, I'd been through a lot of ugly stuff because of my drinking, but that really, I was so ashamed and I kind of just figured I'm just going to forever tuck this one under the rug and never talk to any of those people again. But like, I needed them. It was all I had. I didn't have a, a, a network otherwise of sober people. And so there was that night. And then there was the people, you know, the people who, who just right the next day were like, Hey, how you doing? You okay. Like what's going on? Like the next day, you know, after that embarrassing thing had happened. And I just think about, you know, that the thing I say too, is like that they weren't, no one was doing that because they're like these altruistic angels. They just learned that because someone had probably done something similar for them. Um, and I've since done things like that for people, you know, so to me, that's like just the core of service and, um, fellowship, you know, like we're all in this crazy ass ride together and we're going to take you home and no one's going to say anything except kind words to you. And we're going to call you tomorrow. Yeah. That's so cool. And just so like, uh, what a powerful thing. Cause now you can tell that story. Now you can show that level of grace that exists in the world and that level of just like undeserved favor. And, mm-hmm. and by the way, you can pay it forward. And like, none of that could happen without your mistake. Right. Right. My like horrifically embarrassing mistake, you know, it's just, yeah, none of that could happen without my mistake. I mean, I told, I, I tell the story of the prodigal son in the book too. And that sort of like encapsulates what I think you're trying to say and what I'm trying to say, which is like, we're never playing the game that we think we're playing, which is the good versus bad game. Like if I'm just good enough, I will get what I'm supposed to get. It's like, no, the game is never to try to be good. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you, you, the line from that story in the Bible, which I'm not even a big Bible person, but I love that story is you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And to me, it's like to hear that as someone who so extraordinarily fucked up their life, you know, and made so many really painful, brutal mistakes, which I thought I could never come back from to hear that you are always with me, meaning like you, you get all the love in the world just because you exist Mm -hmm. and everything I have is yours is, um, that's a pretty important message. And it's like, just comes to mind that it is the most pain and the most dark that transmutes into the most love and the most grace, right? And I remember really, you know, reading that story and in my early twenties and just being so struck by it and having it. And I remember not feeling sorry is the wrong word, but I remember people who couldn't relate to that story or or who felt like it wasn't fair. And there's another one, Mm. um, 
I forget what it wanted, but it's like about the wages. Like somebody gets paid the same amount for working just a few hours than somebody who's been there all day. And the people who are there all day feel like it's, it's so unfair. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I remember having a, a really close friendship, one of my best friends since, since kind of preschool. And after like, I went through, like I made every wrong decision you could have made. I moved out of my house at 15. I moved in with a man who was completely violent for four years. Like there was like this whole long story of, of all these mistakes. And she yeah. walked a path of being, you know, homecoming queen and getting straight A's and going to the best college. And I remember in our thirties, she came and she was just like, I just don't get it. Like, I'm just like, I can't understand. I've tried. I've been so good. And I I've been so good. And now you are this success and I am doing what I'm doing. And, and it was a point that ultimately, like, unfortunately sort of really undermined our friendship and, and we're not really close anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember feeling like, wow, like it's so hard it's so hard to know the beauty of grace and undeserved favor if you haven't really fucked up. Yeah. Well, you can't. You can't. And it's yeah. such a gift to know that. Like, there's no better gift to know that, like, you are always with me and I am everything I have is yours. Like, to know that you are worthy just because you exist. And you can't know you're worthy just because you exist unless you've gone to the bottom of the worst of the worst and yeah. found that you're still alive. You still have the gift of breathing. You still exist, you yeah. know? And, and like that, I don't know. I, I guess this whole conversation is just like so confirming <laughs> this beautiful <Yeah>. book, which <laughs> everybody needs to read it immediately. Um, oh my gosh. Because like you just, oh, Laura, you've just like captured this truth through your stories. You. And um, I know on the back, like, Glennon says it's like the most generous and that word struck me because I was like before I read it I read I read the back and I was like what does that mean generous and then um I started reading it and I got it it's it's generous because like because you give all of yourself in this book like you you literally you don't hold anything back you don't try to be anything that you're not you don't try to sway anybody's opinion to anything you just tell the truth and and you're so vulnerable and real and it is it is like truly a generous book it's just so beautiful thank you you've made me cry now <laughs> sorry we always do this to each other i don't i don't normally cry on podcasts it's just with you. It's ridiculous. oh my god oh, oh thank you for that i really blowing my nose sorry people <laughs> no thank you for that truly it's um means a lot but it's just it's just awesome and and I have to admit when I first saw years ago you would have the we are the luckiest shirts I don't think I got it at that point in my life like I don't think I was I don't think I got it yet I was like oh, yeah okay. well it can sound a little trite and um you know sunshiny and I, that's not really at all how I am <laughs> so maybe <laughs> that's why I'm okay saying it because it's just it comes from a much deeper place than than that yeah it felt like I, I don't even know what it felt like but I was like, yeah. like are we trying to convince ourselves of something <laughs> <laughs> yeah right right <laughs> but yeah oh. I'm very happy that you have um shown me the truth of that statement because like yeah I consider you um one of my like I said with the whole AA conversation and then through this book like you're a very important teacher for me Laura and so Thank I just you. really appreciate you so much likewise Awesome.
Okay, well, where can we find now that we've cried? Book? <laughs> where can people find you? I think that's the end now. Um, everything is on my website. It's lauramcowan.com. It's just my name. Um, my book is my book is everywhere that books are sold. Uh, and I so appreciate you having me on a second time. I feel so special. So good. So such a wonderful conversation. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Let me ask you a question. What is better than change? <laughs> Lasting change, of course. And if you've had trouble making change stick, either with alcohol or in any other area of your life, you are in for a treat. I created the 100 Days of Lasting Change to ensure that we don't just change for a moment, but we truly transform for a lifetime. And this program is so close to my heart. Thousands of people have been through it and their results are incredible. But don't take my word for it. Check it out at thisnakedmind.com forward slash 100 days. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.